All right, uh, quick note before we get started today. Trigger warning? We are discussing a story that deals with sexual assault. We do not get into explicit detail, but our conversation is pretty cavalier. And so if this is a discussion that would be upsetting to you, takes place during the second story, the first half of the podcast or so should be relatively trigger-free, Proceed with some caution, you have been warned. The world's not as simple as it used to be. It's not enough to be a good guy anymore. We have to be the best. The time has come. All will be accounted for. Or we will hunt them. Stand up. It's time to be the heroes we were always meant to to be. Spider-Man. You gotta, you gotta, I'm, I'm sorry, Steven. You gotta say it like you're from the hood. Spider-Man. Okay, Spider-Man. you know what? I've, I feel like that's cultural appropriation and I don't want to be part of this. I'm handing you my, my, my culture, please. Let's <laughs> just appropriate it. <laughs> Do you know what happened to the last group of people that gave the white man their culture? <laughs> Although Man, it, just, those, it never they, ends well when you give stuff to white people. Uh, just I was gonna <laughs> say, yeah, those blankets were not a good return on investment. Oh, oh. <laughs> I was gonna make some crack about Eminem and Macklemore. Uh, yours was mm, pointed. Ooh. Ooh, a little bit. Hey, Macklemore was a decent investment. You know, and arguably Eminem was too. Mm-hmm. I know we're on a tangent, but I'm gonna keep it real, real, real short, real fast. Have you guys ever seen the the racial delegation skit from Chappelle Show? Yes, it was hilarious. No. So, so the premise is it's all the all the races are getting together, um, and deciding to clear up the air on like which person belongs to which race. So, like the Asian delegation is uh, who did, they pick the Wu Tang Clan and they make them officially Asian. Uh, the I think the black delegation picks uh, Tiger Woods Tiger and Woods, makes them. Yeah. Yeah, they make them like full black, um, and there's there's a joke in there about uh, the white people are trying to take I forgot who they're trying who they're trying to take. I think they're trying to take. Uh, was it Michael Jackson? No, I want to say no. It was I, I forgot who, but he's not even like one eighth white. They they make the joke. He's not even one eighth white. Um, but the but the representative from the from the black delegation gets up on the mic and he's like, yeah, we accept this. But we want Eminem in return. <laughs> They're like, whoa, whoa, don't hustle, don't hustle me. And he's like, I'm a hustler, baby. It's, it's a, it has, it's not a skit that is aged well, even the day it was released. But uh, I think it end, doesn't it end with like the Jewish uh, delegation getting Lenny Kravitz. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, so welcome, welcome, one and all, to the Superhuman Registration Podcast. We are here to talk about some Marvel comics, and boy, are we ready to have a rumble. I've got a lot of thoughts about today's comics. I'm really excited for it. So, my name is Steven. I've got with me Aldo and John. Guys, how are you doing tonight? You know, on on the whole, since I just saw Spider-Man Far From Home, I'm doing pretty good. But I also read one of the comics that we have for tonight, so... I think I broke even. I don't know. <laughs> you know, that's absolutely fair. 
Uh, which comic could John be talking about? Listen and find out. <laughs> All right. So we've got two stories on the docket today. Let's start by talking about the first arc of Joss Whedon's run on Astonishing X-Men from 2004. So we're Astonishing X-Men issues number one through six. John, I think you've got our recap. Yes. We get... I'm trying to place the... Well, we'll talk about where it kind of fits with what's been going on. But Kitty Pride returns to the Xavier School for Gifted Youngsters as a teacher. Um, she's been away for some time. The school has been rebuilt after being destroyed because that's what happens to the School for Gifted Youngsters. And as she joins back up with the team of Emma Frost, um, Cyclops, Beast, and uh, Wolverine, a cure for the mutant gene is announced. At the same time as an um, off-world visitor, or a bad guy named Ordo, um, attacks uh, a big party of you know fancy people. It's, it's just Ord. It's just Ord? What did yes. I say? Ordo. Uh, I see, okay... I Sounds got, like a like a mystery science theater character. No, see, we're just closer, uh, Ordo and I, and I call him Ordo like a nickname. Oh, I see. So, <laughs> I mean, this is a, this is just awkward for Steven. <laughs> <clears throat> Ord, the man with no nose, the man with <laughs> like I don't know what this big metal band across his face is. I'm not wild about his character design. Like, I'm all for an evil, you know, tough bad guy who can take out a whole team of X-Men. But not Lockheed! Um, but yeah. <laughs> so, the cure is announced. I think what this... Is the this um, I almost called it a trade. But these six issues do well as they give good cliffhangers at the end of each, um, each uh, issue. But a, a cure is announced. They look more into it. Um, Hank McCoy, Hank McCoy uh, um, is conflicted because, you know, he's worried about his own mutation as he's getting more and more mutated. And I blame, um, um, wow, new parent brain. I cannot remember the Scottish writer who did um, X Men, who I don't like. Grant but Morrison. Grant Morrison. There you go. I, I would listen to him read the phone book because he's got a great Glaswegian accent, but I can't. I can't get into his X-Men run. Maybe I need to restudy it um, now. But anyway, <laughs> during his run, he changed Beast from a beast into a cat, which is dumb. But, uh, you know, we'll get into that. Um, a, a cure is announced. The X-Men check it out. Turns out Ord has teamed up with Dr. Rao, and um, they're working together. She's treating it as it's, you know, as a disease. And, you know... Through her eyes, it's she's really trying to help while at the same time not really acknowledging the rights of mutants. Um, turns out Ord uh, developed this cure because his people on, is it, sorry, Break World? Mm -hmm. A lot of names. Um, they, it's not Break a World, though. Not to you, because you're not in the club. <laughs> they gave me a pass. Gosh. I'm allowed to use those words. Um, <laughs> Uh, you're an honorary break worldian. Yeah. They claimed you in, in the, the racial summit. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> Dr. Rao now gives... Now i got to keep all of that Dave Chappelle stuff in, by the way. Oh. Otherwise, that's not going to make any sense. You know, it's 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 totally appropriate for 2019. Oh. Yeah, true. Oh, no. Gosh. <laughs> Hank McCoy gets a sample, checks out. The Cure does check out. Turns out... Ord has been torturing Colossus, who was thought dead, 
um, in his super secret deep dark lair way beneath the surface of Dr. Rao's lab. Um, th- uh, I almost called her Katya because that's, uh, <laughs> that's what Colossus calls her. Kitty, Pride, rescues Colossus. They confront Rao. They confront Ord. And have a big old fight. S.H.I.E.L.D. gets involved because they're um, not wild about mutants in the first place. But, you know, Nick Fury recognizes heroes. And so uh, uh, Ord is uh, uh, neutralized, sent away. Um, the cure is spread to the winds, and uh, who knows where it ended up because it was it was destroyed. Um, but that's you know for another adventure, another day. And the team is, as always, it's the X Men, so they're a, they're a uh, dysfunctional family. You know, everyone's been fighting with everyone the whole time because Emma Frost is a bad guy, and that's how Kitty Pride was introduced to the X Men, as we read not so long ago with the uh, Dark Phoenix mm. saga. Mm-hmm. Which I think it's good that we we followed up Dark Phoenix with this because it's kind of like you know, in a way, is a continuation of that story. I think if you look at the relationships of the characters, but all in all, um, I re- I really liked it. I I saw this the first time I experienced this comic was as a motion comic, and it was bad. Like, it's it just didn't it didn't work as well. I think as a comic, it works better. Um, than as, you know, like an attempt to make it animated, but not really animated. Motion comics are weird. They haven't figured it out yet. Um, but on the whole, um, it's very X-Men-y. Um, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. And um, even more so when we compare it to, you know, the latter half of the uh, Spider-Man comic we read. But what did we'll, you guys... We'll get there. What, do you, what did you guys think about X-Men? <laughs> So I've got a lot of uh, feelings about this no. story arc. No, they're 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 a mix. A lot of positive. Uh, the it's funny that you mentioned Grant Morrison's run and not being able to get into it because Grant Morrison is one of my favorite comic book writers, and I absolutely love about ninety percent of his run on X Men. There's a couple of things in there that I'm not a big fan of, and so I like one of the things that Grant Morrison tends to do when he's on a book is that he will radically alter the status quo. And so I think to Whedon's credit, he didn't just take the X-Men back to where they were prior to Grant Morrison being on the book. Like Morrison killed off Jean Grey again. Morrison got rid of Professor X. Like Xavier left the school and left it to Cyclops and Emma Frost. Morrison put Frost and Scott Summers together as a couple and Which I actually like that. I like I like that. He set up a lot of interesting stuff, and Whedon took all that stuff and ran with it in interesting directions while trying to do something relatively new and still bringing in a whole lot of old X-Men stuff. And so overall, I think this story does exactly what you want a good X-Men story to do. Mm-hmm. It, it pays homage to everything that came before. It does introduce some new elements, it has a lot of that soap opera stuff that you really want to see from X-Men. And it has some great character moments along the way. Like, overall, I think this is a pretty solid book. I do have nitpicks, which I'll get into in a minute. But as far as initial impressions go, overall, it's pretty positive. Aldo, what do you think? I think my opinion to this is probably... I, I don't know. I always feel a little underwhelmed by X-Men books. <gasps> <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I never think they're the masterpieces everybody else thinks they are. <laughs> That's because we haven't read Messiah Complex and Second Coming yet. 
John, you are just setting yourself up to be disappointed. No, they're so good, you guys are wrong. They're the best comics. Th- those sound awfully biblical, and I have opinions about biblical Oh, don't worry, they're not. Um, <laughs> um, no, I was going to say, though. No, but, um, I, I mean, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I think Gifted, as it stands by itself, doesn't actually stand all that well. I, 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 it feels like it sets up a lot of stuff, um, and there's yeah. no real initial... Uh, it's, there's no instant gratification in this arc. There's a lot of setting up for a lot of really good stuff that feels like it's coming soon, but in this initial arc by itself, um, it's it just feels alright. All like, I, I, I wouldn't tell anybody not to read it, um, but it would definitely be like, hey, you might want to pick up more than just the first trade, or more than just the first arc. No, I think that's, that's a good thing because it keeps you interested. I, I want to continue on reading this, but we I mean we do have other comics yeah. to read, so and, th- and that's a and that's kind of a detriment and like a good both a good it's a double edged sword of comics, right? Um because really the whole point is to get you in for yeah. for the ride to buy every single issue or buy every trade. So so you know, sometimes sometimes you get a really good standalone arc. Uh sometimes you don't. And I think this is one of those times where like you don't, but your real benefit here comes from Probably comes from absorbing the whole thing. I haven't read all of it, um, and I'm planning to. I, I was really interested. Yeah. It is satisfying as an individual chunk of story, but it's like a really good first episode. Or how, like, when you get into a new television show, sometimes the first two or three episodes set up the the status quo. Like, it's yeah. satisfying in that way, not in the way that you're getting, like, a complete story. I think I 100% agree with you, especially when you start to consider some of the things that uh, don't really work as well. Yeah. Like, the all the stuff with Colossus. Colossus is probably my biggest complaint about this book, actually. Because there's not enough of him. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not it. Yeah. I think one of my things about this book, though, that I do appreciate, especially as... You know, I tend to really get into the wikis about Marvel and DC, uh, but even even like that, X Men is still a a part of the Marvel universe. I'm so disconnected from. It's a lot. Yeah. So so when I read this book and they're telling me exactly what happened, it's like thank goodness. Like <laughs> <laughs> like when I come in and they're like, yeah, you know, uh, Wolverine was off doing this thing. Oh, by the way, Scott and Emma hooked up. Oh, by the way, uh, Kitty Cat's been away for a while uh you know hey this is why beast looks different oh hey colossus was dead he's alive again mm-hmm. you know like i i like that they explain all those things to to me as a new reader um and it doesn't feel like it takes away from the narrative if you've been keeping up with everything there are some things i think they don't explain very well mm-hmm in particular, like where is they talk, Xavier? They don't mention really where is Xavier. Right. They talk about Manhattan a lot, and they don't explain what that's about. Um, I forget which big event it, it was. It wasn't one. It was part of the Grant Morrison run. Oh. Yeah. Magneto got hopped up on some mutant-enhancing drugs, and he basically turned Manhattan into a giant concentration camp for humans. Oh, Magneto. You and your shenanigans. Yeah. He's not always it, wrong, though. It, oof, uh, <laughs> that's not a phrase you should use in the same conversation as concentration camp, necessarily. <laughs> oh, no, wait. No. No, 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 no. Okay. <laughs> Hello, dear listener. I believe that my words may be taken out of context in the future to <laughs> screw me somehow. 
please note that if I ever am appearing before the grand jury or Congress, <laughs> that I uh, am am uh, very very anti-Nazi. Uh, there are not good people on both sides when one of the sides are Nazis. <laughs> I, like, okay, so I like the Grant Morrison run. The whole Magneto turns Manhattan into a concentration camp reads very differently in 2019 than it used to. Um, but I really like it overall. Kind of like Dave Chappelle. <laughs> yeah. Um, but for me, like, the whole Colossus thing, part of the reason it doesn't work for me is that one of the main threads that is still getting pulled through from old X-Men through now is the Scott, Gene, Wolverine love triangle. Which I don't like. No. I've never really liked it. And they keep it going on even after Gene Grey has died and Cyclops has ostensibly moved on. Well, that, I mean, and there needs to be conflict between him and Emma, and she says it. She's like, I still rate below a corpse. And, like, yeah. it turns out that the, the body they're talking about, everyone's like, oh, Gene, <gasps> and it's not. But that co- that creates tension between him and Emma Frost, which you would want right. in a story. But, yeah, at the expense of, ugh, this again. Yeah. yeah. And I think it doesn't, I, I, frankly, I don't think it makes sense to bring Colossus back. Like, why? Did... Oh, because in, af- in the aftermath of the uh, AVX incident, he has a beard. And it's worth keeping Colossus <laughs> alive for another, like, ten years or so. Or uh, eight years. Just to give him the beard. Oh my gosh, have oh you seen gosh. it? Yes, you've actually talked about it on the podcast. Oh, before. and I'll talk, and I will talk about it until we read it. Because, good gracious, <laughs> it's fantastic. So I had a question about Colossus, actually, and maybe I missed it, maybe I did it, and they just don't explain it until He can cover his whole body in metal, you see, and he's real strong. (laughs) Oh, And he's from Russia. Oh, I thought it was a soup, thanks. (laughs) And his last name is Rasputin. (laughs) You know, they never Piotr Nikolaevich. You see, the patronymic middle name, it's always your father's (laughs) name. So his father's name is Nikolai, his name is Nikolaevich. Magic's middle name would be Nikolaevna. My question is, why were they torturing Colossus? <laughs> yeah, I don't understand. I'm assuming part of like his mutation is maybe part of the cure, but how? Magnets? How do they work? This is insane clown posse in here. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> they just they just would pick him up and drop him all day because he's metal. <laughs> Can I get a whoop whoop? Or whatever it is, the, the ICP... You think I have any clue what the ICP does? Dude. Dude. But no, although I agree with you, like, not only does it not make sense for Colossus to have been brought back after he died in helping to cure the legacy virus, which I've never read that, I don't know how much sense that makes with him, like, in the context of the story, but I also don't quite understand why Ord and Dr. Rao need Colossus for their cure. Like, it doesn't make sense to me. It, it doesn't fit with the narrative. It doesn't really play in... Like, the the red herring that, oh, maybe Jean's alive still. Like, crying out loud, she died last year. <laughs> like, literally, this comic takes place a year after Jean Grey died yeah. last. And so it's a weird tease to throw in there. I understand that it creates tension between Scott and Emma. and But, like, to have the fake out and have it be Colossus, to me, it doesn't make sense. I, it Well, think about... Looping in, looping in Kitty Pride because Kitty Pride and Colossus have you know been an item, have been and will be. Yeah, yeah when she was underage, so yikes. So I thought the fake out was that it wasn't Jean, but it was the fish lady. 
Oh, um... I mean, that's fake-out number one, I guess. The, like, the, the comic is really heavily implying that an X-Man who used to be dead is actually alive and in custody, and we get at the end of issue three this, uh, like, Scott Summers thinking that it's Gene. He says it out loud after Beast says, why does nothing ever stay buried? And that's the other thing about this that really bothers me. Scott and Beast and ostensibly Emma, although that's not entirely clear, should know that it's not Jean Grey. Yeah. So it's just the audience and maybe some members of the X-Men who are kept in the dark as to who this returning X-Men is. At least that's the way I read it. And I don't, I don't love it. I, I really don't love the clock. Like, it almost makes up for it, though, when Colossus... And Wolverine do the fastball special that gets the full splash page. Oh yeah, that's pretty I love great. That. I, that that's pretty moment. great. I love that they don't even call it that. I love that that's way purely fan service. Like I have two words for you. Next page. <laughs> Whoosh. Like if there's if there's one strength that Joss Whedon has as an X Men writer, it is his ability to bring in the right kind of fan service. Like. I got two words for you, and then you flip the page over, and we get that double page spread of Wolverine getting thrown through the air in a fastball special. Yeah. Like, he knows how to give people what they want without it just being pandering and rehashing, which is a theme that I imagine we're going to revisit pretty soon, maybe, in talking about another comic that we might or might not be uh, reading for this episode, maybe? <laughs> wow, hint at it a little bit more, Stephen, why don't you? Let's not ruin X-Men. <laughs> Talking about X-Men. One of these days, we're going to read a bad X-Men book, and for some reason, I will feel vindicated. <laughs> They're out there. I am selfish. I am right. <laughs> uh, you know, the worst part is, it took me a lot longer than it should have to get that. It's really <laughs> embarrassing that it, like, the wheels were just like, John, I swear I'm right. Okay, John, you had a comment. Uh if I did, it is it is gone. It is it is to the four winds, just just out of here. I'm gonna have to start like writing things down. Like you know, I hope you guys like event. You'll be yeah. We there were signs, Your Honor. We knew. And <laughs> well, let me put a question out here then. So we've talked a lot. Uh, well, we've talked a little bit about Joss Whedon as the writer. We've also got the art team: John Cassidy, colors by Laura Martin, letterer Chris Eliopoulos. I I I mean. I've talked about Chris Eliopoulos. I really like him as a letterer and as an individual artist. But what do we think about the artwork? It it, it works. I, I don't think it's spectacular, but it's not bad. No. Um, you know, nothing to write home about, but it's, you know, it's all right. Everyone looks very on model. I always think it's funny because, like, every time we read a book and the models or, like, or, the, or the drawings or whatever, the closer they are to real life, the more I'm like, mm, John's going to have opinions. Yeah, you know why? We have real life. We have a camera. <laughs> And if I'm reading a comic book about people with metal claws, I don't want to see what a person with metal claws in their hands would look like. I want to see what Wolverine looks like. And he's a character, not a real person. Except Hugh Jackman. That's a bad example to use. Hugh Jackman is Wolverine. Let's start over. Hello, uh, he's I'm not. John. I like good art. Mm. <laughs> well, I mean, Hugh Jackman is a good Logan, but I don't think he's a good Wolverine. He's an excellent Logan. Uh, okay. If he was two feet shorter... and maybe a little uglier a bit more canadian yes there you go yeah i I feel like wolverine really should be an ugly little guy 
and Hugh Jackman's just too pretty. Uh, and a little, a little less opera and a little more uh, country western. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, as far as the art goes, I'm gonna say these covers are fairly decent overall. Uh, like compared to the artwork, which is just kind of fine. The covers are yeah fine, except for the ones that are really good. Like Kitty and Colossus, that one, yeah. Kitty and Colossus, I think I think issue number six has one of the best. Like it's a really good cover where you know they're in kind of this sexy Colossus is holding Kitty pose, but then you look and you see that Colossus's fingers are like in Kitty's stomach, and she's like they're she's phasing through him, which is creepy and potentially like lethal to at least one of them. But it also creates this really cool intimate effect that I think works really well. I like this cover a lot. That's like the worst kind of PDA when it's like, ugh, you're literally like all mixed up in each other's business. Get a room. <laughs> I actually I actually think one of my favorite covers is the one to the second uh, issue. That's the other really good one. I think the rest of them are just kind of fine. Yeah. But the, those two covers, the second issue, these are good. That was a revelation to me that she's phasing through him. I didn't pick that pick up on that. Yeah, it, it's it's a cover that really rewards looking at it for a while. Yeah. And getting it, lost that's in really cool. Getting lost in Colossus's reflective surfaces. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it literally in Kitty's case. Um, and I guess I guess issue four's cover is all right. It's a picture of the beast and his like feline hands holding a picture of his more human self that's like broken it's it's ugh. kind of ugh. the like feline hands i hate i hate cat beast he's not a cat i like cat beast i hate a cat lot, beast. actually i, I love hank mccoy like hate cat beast. Okay. <laughs> see the problem here's the problem my basis of the x-men was the action figures in the 92 series the tv series and we had yes. we had monkey beast we had beast beast we had weird nose beast none of this cat beast crap and so, wrong, right or wrong, probably wrong, that's canon in my head, and that's gospel. Yeah. And so any deviation from that without, like, you know, me doing the legwork and reading up and, okay, how did we get from 92 X-Men <laughs> to this version? Or how did we go from original to 92 to this version? You know, because I, if I can read stuff before that, then I'm like, okay, this is what the uh, 92 series was drawing from, so it's okay, too. <sighs> It, I just have a problem with it. I just don't. I'm like Cat Beast. I, I, I don't have to defend myself to you people. Like, what is this, a trial? Leave me alone. I mean, you kind of do. That is the basis of the show. <laughs> I imagine that there's, there's somebody out there who feels the same just about normal Beast. He's like, listen, I don't know how we got from 68 human Beast to blue hair furry Beast. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Oh man, what it's does, like it's like there's Beast a separate like there's a separate church of Hank McCoy every time he mutates. Like we split off and have heretics and and schisms in the faith. Like I am, I am a true believer in the original Beast, and like no, I, I'm okay with blue haired Beast, but no more beyond that. I don't like kitty cat Beast, oh, and I don't even like know a... is he still a cat? No, he looks no, he's, like a he's weird more yeti of a gorilla. Thing. Yeah, yeah, he's changed again. They've they've changed him a couple of times over the years. Oy. Yeah. Um, anything else that we want to bring up here? I think this is a good, like, it, this is, this is a good example. Hey, what, what are X-Men comics about? Well, they're about their struggle to, you know, protect humanity while being hated by humanity. And this one really brings it, you know, in focus, like, you know, there's a cure out there and it's, 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 it's hard because, you know, some kids with crazy powers want it and the X-Men are like, no, we shouldn't because it, you know, we, we need to get rid of it because it's, 
you know, represents a threat to us and, and uh, to our people, you know, and they, we're, we're not a disease. We're, you know, the next stage of evolution. And I saw a really funny comic one time. It was just a, like a, someone made a meme where it was Storm like, no, nothing's wrong with us, said the, you know, weather goddess to the girl who kills anyone she touches with her bare hands. Oh, yeah. And it's like, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, that point yeah. gets made in this book, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You, can, you can really tell that this, uh, that X-Men 3, you know, that movie that was never really made, I, you know, I, uh, I'm surprised I have, so many people know about it. I had just had Are you this... talking about X-Men Apocalypse? Because that's the third one, right? No, no, no. Days of Future Past <laughs> was the third one. That's... That, what? Oh, huh. Steven, if you liked Apocalypse more than Days of Future Past, then I'm going to have to uh, flip this table, drive to your house, and beat you to death with this microphone I'm talking into. Okay, but can you wait until we stop recording? Wait, hold on a second. You really don't like Days of Future Past? Do you like Apocalypse more than Days of Future Past? So, anything else that we want to say about Joss Whedon? Steven, can I, can middle I, name can, Bradford. Can I just say both <laughs> of those are not very good films? Oh yeah, no, they're both bad. No! Days of Future Past is great. Mm. So for reasons that we will probably talk about a little bit later. No, 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 no. Hold on a second. You're not going to skate away from this. <laughs> for reasons that we were, we will talk about a little bit later in the show, I found myself making a list of my definitive ranking of superhero movies. The only criteria was how much I liked it. And the highest ranking X-Men movie was X2. Correct. At number 33 out of 66. Oh, Jeez. well, I mean, it's tough times for the X-Men lately because of the MCU movies. Was Endgame just like the top five spots? We'll get there. But the short answer is no. So wait. Oh, I guess Logan was in my top five. I guess, do we count that as an X-Men movie? Yes. But okay. Yeah. It has Professor X in it. It has X-23 if, in it. Okay, if we're counting it, then Logan's number five. Anyway, let's talk about Joss Whedon Astonishing X-Men. I think he did his homework. I think he is familiar, um, if not a fan, I'm, I'm betting he's a fan, of the X titles. And I think his ability as a storyteller to um, bring in you know, family conflict, if you look at the crew of Serenity and how they get along and bump into each other and rub a... Rub a okay, this is sounding oddly sexual. I don't mean it like that. Hold on. Oh, gosh. Like, rub up against each other? Nope, it's worse. It's worse now. It's worse. Uh, how the, you know, how they, like, conflict <laughs> with each other in closed spaces? Man! Um, <laughs> I keep pulling the ripcord, but this parachute is just a knapsack. <laughs> okay, listen. Um, in all, in a lot of his shows, you see a family dynamic. You see the Avengers in Serenity. I'm a, I'm guessing it comes up in Buffy, but I haven't watched that show. Um... And I think that that talent and his his style lends itself well to an X-Men team. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm just going to climb out of this hole that I've dug. You guys talk amongst yourselves. No, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to sit here and watch. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, I will say, the, the premise of the story is actually kind of interesting. And I'm, I'm kind of of two minds on the topic. On the one hand, the idea of a mutant cure is something that hadn't really, I don't think, been done before. And it pushes the story in an interesting sci-fi direction that I think creates material that is at least thought-provoking. I worry about it potentially having some negative implications, especially when we were moving into the 21st century, mutants started to be more of a metaphor for uh, homosexuality. 
You mean you mean the metaphor that was he started in the sixties? That was civil rights. Then for race stuff. Yeah. They've always been a stand-in for the other, Stephen. I think to yes, but specifically they were created to be sort of a stand-in for the civil rights movement and for race issues. That was terrible because they were all white. Yeah, there there were issues (laughs) with that. Beast is blue. Wait, he wasn't uh, back then. Not back then. <laughs> Iceman was what? Oh, wait, nope. Iceman was super white. I'm, I'm sorry. I think a group of five middle class straight white students, probably not the best allegory for race issues in the '60s, but they got better. Continue, but, but yes, baby the steps point was. <laughs> oh gosh, the the idea was though, like. Because, like, you think about what the X-Men stories were doing at the time. You had X2, which came out around the same time as this, that very explicitly made Iceman's story, well, explicitly is putting it a bit strongly, but Iceman's parents ask him in the movie, have you ever tried not being a mutant? Yeah, it was the, it was yeah. the coming out conversation. Yeah. Right. But, yeah. And so, the again, the, the metaphor here where mutants are standing for the other, and in this case, the other is more commonly accepted to be the LGBT community and to have a cure in that context is a bit weird and not great. Yeah, but I mean, so I mean, there's a big discussion I don't think we should have, but uh, (laughs) we're not qualified to have, really, let's be frank. But, um, while not discounting the struggles of a large, you know, of a, of a lot of people out there. Right, exactly. We're just not the people who are equipped to talk about it, but Aldo does have a point here. I just I just also feel like the allegory to race issues is, is a lot more... Um, <clears throat> it, it, it feels a lot more concrete. As much as I criticize a group of, like, 40-something, you know, white, super-powered individuals being a better allegory for this than the, hom- than the homosexuality, the difference... And I, I think part of the big difference was, you know a lot of black people in the 60s and and later 80s and 90s had to arm themselves against police and other sorts of racial violence. Um, So I think the whole idea of having this oppressed group with superpowers that can defend themselves and also be a damage to themselves in the community is a better allegory than people who just exist and don't really cause any harm. And and, and trying to say, God, I feel like I'm digging myself in a hole somehow. (laughs) (laughs) So to me, that kind of falls like a flat comparison because, yes, there's a lot of problems with uh with the way e- even in 2019 that you know we treat the we as a society treat our homosexual brothers and sisters, um, but also saying like hey these people who literally can explode planets and destroy time and space uh, in their dreams that's totally a fair <laughs> thing yeah. to me it just doesn't ring as as harshly as kind of black people or you know people of color who had to arm themselves to protect themselves and right. became a, a big thing of who they were um i mean that's still a thing in, in a lot of black culture so you know I've, I've just never really liked the allegory as much as the other one yeah but i i see where you i see what you're coming from that's and that's kind of where i always have a problem with with x-men books um especially dealing with like the cure because ever since this book came out it feels like it comes up like every third story arc uh there's a cure or somebody's figured this out or somebody's gotten rid of it right and 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 there's a lot to be said for like and you know scott says it here right like how come captain america and spider-man and 
And uh, I, all these other characters are celebrated for being heroes, but because they were born with it, they're not. I think that's a more interesting argument. Yeah. It's that uh, the, the sometimes unspoken threat of, you know, the mutants could take over and there could be, like, no more humans and everyone yeah. would be a mutant, you know. While, oh no, how, you know, how many people are going to get bit by a radioactive spider? Bad example. There's a lot. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's a whole universe about it now. Yeah, which um, man, Spider Verse is good. Anyway, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So I don't know. I I think I think X Men is a lot to unpack, um, and I think that's probably one of the reasons why it's such a popular and longstanding book because you can really pick any one aspect and really expand on it. Um, and I think the way I I kind of wish they would have expanded a little bit more on it. They have this really interesting conversation with. Or, or kind of theme with Hank, specifically Hank, yeah, uh, who I think is a really good uh, kind of front person for this whole issue, right? Because he's one of those people who can't really control his power. He doesn't get to decide. You know, kind of like the issue that... Uh, and here I am, kind of backtracking on the thing I said. Uh, kind of how trans a lot of trans people can't really... Oh, what is that called? Where you just kind of look... The pass. Part. Yeah, they don't pass, right? Like, they can't, for whatever reason, or they just choose not to, they can't pass. And that's something Hank can't do. He can't pass right. for a normal person. Wolverine can tuck his claws back in and stroll down Rodeo Lane and go buy himself a Gucci and Prada, and nobody's going to have an issue with that. But I would have McCoy, an issue. There's no way he would buy Gucci or Prada, <laughs> but go on. <laughs> but Hank McCoy steps, like, two, you know, two feet outside of the mansion... And suddenly everybody's like, hey, can I touch your fur? That's a, that's on purpose a comparison to what happens to a lot of black people. <laughs> Blue is the new black. There you go. <laughs> so I think Hank here is an interesting character to be the kind of the poster child for this debate. And he's in a very unique position, right? Because the yeah. way Wolverine points it out, if an X-Men caves and does it, it's different than somebody else doing it. Uh, so he kind of has this celebrity thing where it's like everything he does is under a magnifying glass. And I wish, at least in this six-issue arc, and I hope they do more of it in later books, I really wish they would have just dived into that a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know that that was necessarily the goal of this story to really get into it. but and And again, like you said earlier, it's kind of an imperfect metaphor anyway. Yeah. So I like I feel like there are bits and pieces there that people can latch onto and use it to springboard into different discussions. But the story itself is primarily always concerned with entertainment, yes. and that's where they go from here. I've read a bit more of the Cassidy Whedon run, and I don't remember how much the Cure comes back. I don't remember it coming back in a big way. Yeah. But I also don't think I've read the whole thing, so... I'd also be curious to see how a writer in 2019 would handle this. Not to say that Joss Whedon isn't equipped to handle this, uh, but I also feel like maybe he's not, you know, middle-class, straight, white, cis-sexual, sexual male uh, in 2004. Yeah. Probably was sadly the most qualified person in, in the industry at the time to well, handle that's, this. That's who was getting listened to. At the time, you oh, know, that's who that people were paying attention to. Yeah, um, so I'd be really curious to see how the story, if it was to be an event or to be a, a, like a front page type thing, how it would be handled nowadays. And and you know, I guess you could kind of look at the 
at the Iceman story, but as somebody who just isn't part of that community and doesn't really have those problems, uh-huh. I don't know how well it's all handled. Yeah, and I think to the story's credit, it doesn't really lean into that metaphor like overtly. That it really tries to bind it down to the reality of the in-fiction universe. Like Beast isn't there saying, you know, I'm I'm really you know my ex my my assigned physical characteristics <laughs> don't match who I feel on the inside. You know, it, it's not he doesn't use that language, which I think would be potentially very problematic, especially coming from someone who doesn't really understand that community. Yeah. Um, and but then again, I'm not part of that community, so they might have different opinions. But regardless, I think the fact that the story is really interested in telling its own fictional story and maybe there are ways you can relate it to the real world but (laughs) ultimately that's not the goal the goal is to just have a fun story where colossus comes back from the dead for some reason and there's a green alien with a weird nose metal thing and a hoodie he he wears a red hoodie well i will always have the complaint that like the x you know that the thing about storm you know the the lightning goddess says to the girl who touches everything that dies or who kills everything that she touches if we if we take a step back and we just see the x-men represent like the other the person who doesn't fit in for no other reason than you know them existing existing yeah then, then I think it can work for many groups, and maybe it's more successful with some groups than others. But, I mean, Stan Lee wrote it because he wrote them the way that he did because he didn't want to have to keep explaining <laughs> how someone was messing with radiation in the lab and, and got superpowers by yeah. accident. He's like, uh, born they, were, they were born <laughs> that way. Let's move on. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, um, at, the same, at the same time, though, if the X-Men are a metaphor for people who do not quote unquote pass who are who are different from the majority then the cure becomes about giving up the thing that makes you special to fit in which is not great yeah but also the cure also prevents you from killing everything you love right <laughs> so it, again it's a complicated Man. question yeah. that is i knew I this in middle school said we weren't going to talk about this and then we kept talking about it <laughs> yeah i know if we and if we keep talking about this we're just going to go in a cycle and it's inevitably going to end up with, you're going to change what makes you unique. And I'm going to go with, except killing everything you love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, I would also want a cure if my nightmares were real. <laughs> my nightmares are real. I've seen spiders in my apartment. <laughs> Uh, why, don't, why don't we why don't we conclude this conversation? Obviously, astonishing <laughs> X Men, gifted, worth the read if you are really, really, really into think pieces. Also, later on, the conflict comes from um, Fallout from uh, Scarlet Witch saying no more mutants. So it's extinction because there's just so few mutants left. Um, less of you know a threat like this where they can be eradicated. Because it's, you know, killing, not curing that becomes an issue later on. Again, we got to read Messiah Complex. <laughs> we'll get there, John. Maybe some other time. Right now, Aldo, oh. yeah. we, we got to talk about the evil that men do. Oh, man. They write comic books, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, how do I even get in this? Spider-Man, Black Cat, The Evil That Men Do is a six-issue miniseries from 2002... And five. Yes. Asterisk. Big ol' asterisk. Yeah, 2002 and later 2005. 
Uh, written by Kevin Smith and Kevin West, apparently. And art by the Dotsons, Terry and Rachel. Uh, so this story picks up with uh, Felicia has has been retired. Felicia Hardy, the, the black cat, has been retired for a while, it seems like. I didn't really do a whole lot of history searching in this because um, it's, it's kind of... It's pitched or it's sold as its own mini story, so I didn't feel like... I feel like it should be able to stand on its own without a lot of history. Right. And I think on those terms, I think that it does that just fine. That's about one of the few things it does fine. Um, <laughs> so Felicia Hardy has been retired for a while, and she keeps getting a lot of requests uh, from friends or acquaintances and, and people to help them out with stuff because they know that she's the black cat, you know... You, and it can be stuff from like, hey, I think my boyfriend's cheating on me. Well, can you look at him? Or, hey, this guy's harassing me. Can you help me? And, you know, later to, okay, can you put on the black leather suit again for me? Um, and apparently she wishes that one came up a little bit more often. But uh, she's been asked to go check up on her on her friend who has, or a friend of a friend who has disappeared. Um, so she goes back to New York. Um, in the meantime, Spider-Man is investigating a case where one of his students... A kind of a clean kid who doesn't really get in troubles uh, has has died from a heroin overdose. Um, so he's investigating what's going on because that's kind of outside of that kid's uh, character. So while investigating, this is you know this is it's not gonna stop from here. Uh, so while investigating a possibly gay pedophilic actor who has uh, been grooming these young men and giving them heroin. Uh, <laughs> Him and uh, Black Cat bump into each other. Uh, they find We're on issue one still, by yeah. the way. Yeah, this <laughs> they find this uh, this couple uh, that's related to both their cases, and when they go in to confront them after a, a misunderstanding, uh, both die from mysterious heroin overdoses. Oh no, how did that happen? Uh, so the, the two work together. They kind of rekindle a little romance. They go fight Scorpia, and they and they save uh, some rich dude from from. You know, death. Um, and uh, later it turns out that this rich dude... I forget, is it something Clum? Do you remember what his first name is? Garrison? Get, yeah. yeah, Garrison. It's Garrison, Garrison. Clum. He goes, by, he goes by Mr. Brownstone. Yes, which is uh, based on a like street name for heroin. Isn't it also a Guns N' Roses song? Probably. I mean, the, probably that's also based on the on the street word for heroin. Anyway, so they, so they find out that Garrison Clum is Mr. Brownstone, the, the same dude, and, and Felicia goes to confront him. Uh, they find out that he has like a like a minor mutant power to transport small liquids from one place to another, and so he transports heroin into people's bloodstreams. Um, then tells her that he figured out, hey, you know, with your friend who who passed away, uh, who died, um, she died because I. I was experimenting with the right dosage if I want to just knock somebody out and not kill them. By the way, I did that so I can rape you. And then proceeds to attempt to rape her. Flash forward three years real time. Because Kevin Smith just kind of... I don't He's know. bad with deadlines. This has come yeah. up like there's still an unfinished <laughs> Batman story arc out there. Yeah, so, you know, fast forward three real life years. Uh, issue four picks up right, like... The next day, um, Felicia is in jail for murder, um, and uh, Matt Murdock has been sent to has has been called upon as a favor by Spider-Man to represent her as uh, as her lawyer 
and he really wants to push for this whole for a rape defense. It was self defense, and she's pretty insistent that it was not rape. Um, later, she gets uh, Spider Man and, and Daredevil try to break into the jail to you know get her out, um, and she looks like she's getting kidnapped, uh, but she's not. She's getting helped from Garrison's younger brother. I also forgot his name. Um, who reveals that he? It's it re, it's revealed that he actually helped uh, Felicia not just escape the jail, but survive this attack uh, by tell because he's also a minor mutant except he has two powers where he can influence people uh, telepathically, and he's a minor teleporter. Uh, how convenient, you know, two powers and one person and they're just the powers he needs. Anyways, um. <laughs> So he teleported himself inside the body of his older brother because watching him try to rape Felicia Hardy reminded him of the powerlessness he felt when he was incestually raped by his older brother. Uh, this is <laughs> yeah. that's what I was like. Hey, hey, hey! Wait a minute! This is a Spider-Man. So- ah! mm-hmm. And then Felicia Hardy uh, trying to convince him to turn himself in and explain his situation so he can get some help to repair, you know, mentally, uh, psychologically and all this stuff. Uh, You know, regales her own story of how she became a thief. Plot twist. uh, It was rape. Uh, She became a thief because of rape um, when she was in college. So, you know, fun stuff. So Spider-Man and Daredevil show up. Boy. Howdy. Um, they show up. They accidentally punch this guy in the face because they think he kidnapped her. Uh, he didn't. So then they... Uh, she stops them, but it's too late. He kind of believes he's already been set up and betrayed by Felicia. So he disappears uh, while, he's telepo- while he's falling into the water, teleports somewhere, presumably somewhere else, and he just landed on concrete, and his face and body is all jacked up. Because the next time we see him, he's buying the Mysterio at, like lot, like a garage full of Mysterio stuff uh, from the Kingpin. Yep. Surprise! This was an episode all about Spider-Man Far From Home because Mysterio. Uh... <laughs> hey, hey! Don't put any more crap in my brownies. So, so, so I suggested these two books because they had like they had just announced that J.J. Abrams was going to be writing a book, uh, a Spider-Man oh, that's book. Right. Yeah, That's so right. I was like, hey, let's do some books on directors. Boy, I f- forgot how bad this was until... Kind of makes you wish for uh, some good old-fashioned Jeff Loeb comics, doesn't it, Steven? Yes! Yeah. Of course, he's he's more of a writer-producer than director. I don't know if he's directed anything, but still. So there's a lot to unpack here. Cool. Um, there's a lot, a whole lot. Um, let's start with the Dodson's arts being the Dodson's art being excellent as always. Oh my goodness, yes, actually, it's very, let's, it's let's very do good. start on that because that is uh, like now, one of the high points in this. Now book. let's also start out by being just admitting the uh, you know n- naked cat in the room. There's a lot of there's a lot of like I think you call it cheesecakey, Aldo. Yeah, it's cheesecake at the art. beginning. I mean, that's kind of uh, you know Felicia Hardy's bag, I guess. Yeah, I, I think a lot of the stuff with them is, is really kind of... Well, I, I love the Dotson stuff. Um, I think, I you know, I'm not by all means, uh, you know, a reputable artist. Um, but, and, and I will always complain about a lot of artists kind of falling into that same face problem. 
um, which recently there was a huge Twitter storm about all these artists getting angry about people complaining about same face, but that's not a conversation for you there. I feel like that's one of the things that Dotson's run into a little bit is uh, kind of that same face syndrome. But apart from that, my goodness, I love their books. I love their art. I think they draw a really mean Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Felicia Hardy is right up their, their alley of, you know, cheesecake and, and uh, of you know, of cheesecake and stuff. Um, What's her and, name? You know, Scorpia look, does look a lot like, uh, oh, some other character they've done before. I can't. I'd, I'll yeah. see it later and be like, <gasps> yeah, same. But Yeah. So yeah, so I so I don't know. I think it's really good. I think their choreography is typically pretty well done. Yeah. Um I I mean I like it. I really don't have many complaints. I think so, every once in a while their art can look a little too posy and not actually like action. Um and I think that happens a couple times during the Scorpio fight where it doesn't really look like there's motion happening. And the inking the inking in the later books doesn't look as as good like it's not as clean and yeah so i read these all in one sitting and i somewhere along the middle of the fourth book like you can just kind of tell that some time passed yeah we have to talk about the writing (laughs) i i'm gonna in defense of kevin smith let's let's start I think. Oh, you want to throw yourself in front of this charging elephant? Go oh ahead. no, 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 no! I'm gonna <laughs> say the good things before we unload on all the bad things because he's wrong in this case. I just, you know, I enjoy his movies, um, accepting the good with the bad, you know, um, and like some of them, you know, Jane and Silent Bob Strike Back doesn't hold up. <laughs> I would <laughs> imagine Chasing Amy probably doesn't hold up. I haven't, I haven't seen it, um, but. I should say his view of Skew Universe movies I've seen. I haven't seen his, like, you know, I haven't seen Cop Out. I haven't seen uh, Zach and Miri. I haven't seen uh, Tusk. Ugh. I haven't seen Red State. Um, he's a great podcaster, makes great podcasts that are, um, for the most part, funny. All of them terrible, filthy, but, um, you know, the Fat Man on Batman podcast, which I don't know why they haven't, re- they say it, uh, Fat Man Forever, I think is what it's called now. But uh, he interviewed a lot of people who were involved with Batman the Animated Series, as well as, you know, just Batman fans, Batman actors, actresses, and um, creators. You know, Grant Morrison, he did a great uh, two-part interview with him on that show. Um, And so, like, for that, I'm, you know, glad he's around. Uh, Clerks and Mallrats have made me laugh very, very hard. But, yeah, but, but, uh, I, I... I got the uh, I got the riff tracks for Daredevil, the Ben Affleck <laughs> 2003 Daredevil, and when Kevin Kevin Smith's in the movie, he plays a coroner named Kirby after Jack Kirby, of course. And oh. when he comes on screen, the joke that the guys make is, "Ah, Kevin Smith, the world's oldest 13 year old," and yep. it's so true. Um, he he does like. He's enthusiastic with like a kind of a kid's energy of like discovering something he didn't know before, and that's you know fun. Um, but like, yeah, there's like a like a bit of arrest development where he he just not the show, um, you know, like the type of humor that he goes for, just like his knee jerk reaction to something is usually like a crude joke. Yeah. Um, time and place, and and then like I think you know. 
the way that he talks about rape in this way, is it of the time? Is it always inappropriate? I mean, I think it's always inappropriate. Like the way that it's handled is like, yeah, we should, we should be able to talk about trauma and everything like that. But like, yeah, yeah, just like the whole, I don't know. I I think I was, I was particularly bothered with the the ancestral relationships. Yeah. So, so I will, I will say this. I think Kevin Smith gets relationships. Um, I think some of his better movies are about relationships. I I'm per, I like Jersey Girl like a whole lot. You were the one because nobody else yeah. did, from what I hear. Yep, I I love that movie. Um, I recognize it's not great, but I don't care. Um, so I think the Spider-Man Black Cat stuff here like really kind of actually works really well. Um, like a lot about them kind of talking about the fling, about how she kind of threw it away, about how what Spider-Man wants and what she wants. I think that stuff is great. Like, if it was just that, I think this book would have been great. Are you sure? Because Black Cat does try to French kiss Spider-Man through his mask. Yeah, and that's cute. You get is caught it? up in the heat I, of the moment. Yeah. You forget that there's the a mask. The heat of the moment. I thought the line of... <laughs> She says that someone with a chest like yours shouldn't be able to f- move like you do. Tell her they're for ballast. It was, that yeah. was kind of funny to me, that back and forth. Yeah, so like all that stuff is fine. I just remember that thing I was saying about Joss Whedon maybe unfortunately being like the most qualified person in 2004 who was in the industry to talk about that subject matter. Guess um, who the least qualified person in 2002 <laughs> and five was. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think Kevin Smith is at all equipped to to really talk or write about rape. And I don't think it's that you can't talk about rape in comics, especially a Spider-Man book. I think out of a lot of heroes, Spider-Man is probably one of the better equipped ones, seeing how like low and low to earth he is. Um, I just don't feel like the tone of this book, and unfortunately mixed with the art style, really, I don't think plays to, to, to the tone of, of talking about incest and rape and drug overdosing it's such a shift too when it when it happens you know yeah because you go from talking you you, like you go from you know black can't spider-man they're flirting while they're swinging through the streets of manhattan and beating up a scorpion lady who doesn't love that that's great more of that yes it's it's fun it's banter it's you know Uh, yeah and then it's like oh by the way rape a lot of it it's coming yeah you're just like oh like beyond oh. special episode bad, like yeah ooh. after after new, after school special oof yeah yeah the the tone here just doesn't mix well and I just don't think Kevin Smith was at all equipped really to write about this um granted I don't know who is I I really don't know um but certainly not him <laughs> you want to you, you know what guys you liked this story way more than I did because I hate all of it. I hate all of it. I hate even the Black Cat Spider-Man stuff. Like, I think it's bad. Really? Beginning to end. Yep. You like like, Spider-Man loves... Mary Jane loves Spider-Man, but you don't like this? I love Spider-Man loves Mary Jane. This doesn't work for me at all. Really? And so part of it is, I think, Kevin Smith is trying too hard to be funny. Like, he has Spider-Man just straight up quoting Looney Tunes. Uh-huh. Not in a way that, like, makes sense in context. It's, oh, it's a reference to Looney Tunes, therefore it's funny, therefore Spider-Man is a funny guy. The way that Black Cat is just so thirsty for Spider-Man the whole time, I don't... It's a schoolgirl crush. It's the, it's a school... She's a 34-year-old bisexual woman, apparently. 
Apparently she's bisexual. Who swings through the city in a wet leather suit. Like, Steven. <laughs> no, but like, this, no, this is a point, though. Yeah. Like, as far as I can tell, or like, as far as I know, this is the only time that Black Cat is ever referenced as being bisexual. And it's this offhanded line while she's in the shower. She's like, I have spent so long since I've had a boyfriend, or a girlfriend for that matter. And as far as I know, that has never come up again. I think that was Kevin Smith being like, uh, yeah, then she's in the shower. Uh. Yeah. Exactly, though. That schoolboy mentality of of Kevin Smith just like, ooh, let's do all the things that are pervy because the audience will like it, but then we're yeah. going to make it serious and show that rape is no laughing matter. Like, to me, it doesn't work from the beginning, and that makes the tonal shift, like, even more yeah. egregious because it wasn't even starting from a place where I had any faith in the story. Yeah. It just goes from one type of bad to another type of completely reprehensible. And then, ugh, like, ugh. <laughs> I hate it. I hate it. I am so mad about this story. It is, I hate it so much. Well, I guess we know who's losing this vote. <laughs> uh, yeah. Also, can we, so his name's Francis. Francis Clum. He's the guy who becomes the new Mysterio. Oh, that's right. Because I felt bad because I couldn't stop laughing because I kept thinking of Deadpool. Oh, gosh. Don't stop, Francis. <laughs> so, Garrison has the ability to teleport, but Francis can also teleport, and also he's telekinetic, and somehow him being telekinetic allows him to move thoughts into other people's heads, and also he was raped, but he also raped someone, like... In his sob story, when he's telling his Oh, yeah, his I origin, forgot about that. Yeah. He, he raped someone. And, and it was like him paying the world back for himself getting raped. And it's just like, oh my gosh, Kevin, buddy, <laughs> we need to have some sensitivity training. This yeah. is not the way we do this. Yeah. Oh, uh, no. I was going to make a comment about rape sesh, rape rapeception in that story, but I just that just doesn't feel right. Oh, hey, you remember Nightcrawler was in this? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Actually, you know, can, can I say that is actually one of my that is one of my favorite uh, cover fakeouts. Yeah, that that is a well done. That's cover why fake he out. was put in the comic. They were like, you know, you know who looks great on a cover every single time, Nightcrawler. <sighs> and like the fact that the fact that that all the people who can teleport, like their teleportations, make the bamf sound effect. I th- well, I think it depends on the type of teleportation, but yes. Oh my gosh! Also, sorry, sorry. I know, I know. We just started talking about a good thing uh, with with. Uh, with Nightcrawler, but holy crap, was that another left turn inside a left turn? Um, when suddenly we start talking about real life World War II atrocity bringer Joseph Mangella into the X Men history and just treating it like oh, you guys gosh. don't know this, it's middle school stuff. Like, I forgot. I mean, to make like if as if this story wasn't taboo enough for 2019, it also has Nazis in it, yeah, and it's like. Uh. It's oh see and so I th- so part of what I like about Red Skull is he's very much not a real person and he's so comically bad or evil that even Hitler was like whoa you're too evil for me dude get away yeah um and I think that works in comics but I think when you take like a real person who did real atrocities and you're like you know let's just bring him straight into the X Men canon and he also did really messed up things to to mutant kids um. Boy, that's not great. <laughs> no, it it really is not. And then you also have like Nightcrawler's talking about how one of the things that Cerebra does is it 
scans everybody's search history to see who's looking up anti-mutant propaganda so that they can be proactive in combating bigotry, which is a little bit police statey and creepy and Yeah, a little minority great. reporting. Uh, you know, that would actually make a really good storyline if, uh, if, if they wanted to. Minority Report? They, it was a Tom Cruise movie. <laughs> well, no, I meant the X-Men. <laughs> Jeez. Well, I'm also pretty sure that that's the premise of Civil War Two. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A, yeah that's right. it's, it's all about, are we reactionary or are we proactive? Do we take steps before something's actually gone wrong? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But so... Okay, going back to the Nightcrawler thing and the fact that the teleportation sound effects when they're teleporting heroin into people's veins. Ugh, <laughs> like, that makes the bamf sound effect. Daredevil shows up, and in the, the issue where he shows up, we spend about six pages where Felicia is in jail talking to a lawyer who's in the shadows, but we can see the red tint of his lenses. It, it, they take forever to reveal that it's Daredevil, but the whole time I'm sitting there like, it's Daredevil, yeah. it's Daredevil. Yeah. He's a lawyer, he's wearing red sun, it's Daredevil. Um, I think the better fake out would have been if it wasn't him at that point. Seriously, it might have, <laughs> it's oh, my name is Jennifer Walters. It's the She-Hulk. <laughs> Thanks for letting me borrow your glasses, Matt Murdock. But then you've also got um, the bit where uh, Daredevil is talking on the rooftop, and he's like, "I give everything up for the one who got away," and it's a picture of him holding Karen Page, who's been killed. Like this story has so much fan service in it it's just shout outs to all of these different well, stories and karen page getting killed was was kevin smith you know was it, oh, it was wasn't it yeah 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 she od'd in his run on daredevil and she was like a nothing character but then people were like what did you do yeah so like i i feel like all of these shout outs these homages these little winks and nudges to people who read a lot of comics i they're distracting and i hate them like, I'm pounding my fist on my chair. I don't know if the audio is picking it up. I'm so mad. That's, I, every once in a while, so I bad. Hear it. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah. Uh, what was I going to say? I was going to say something else. I also love just how casually uh, Nightcrawler was like, yep, that looks like somebody teleported themselves inside a person. <laughs> how does he I always know wanted that? to know what that would be like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, huh. Oh, he's so casual about this. They just showed him a photo of a man with his insides outside. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and he's just like, neat. <laughs> you know, and I think I think my my biggest problem with this, because there's a lot, um, and I think it's just Kevin Smith's kind of lack of understanding about female sexuality empowerment and recovery from losing your power after a rape. Granted, I'm also not the best person to talk about this. But I also haven't written a book about it, so... Mm. <laughs> that means you're a better person to talk about it than Kevin Smith. Yeah, I, I don't know who has the high ground here. But uh. I think Kevin Smith really misses the art, the really misses the point when he's talking about Felicia and kind of her rape experience. Um, and that she starts stealing because it helps her feel like she's stealing back and helping her feel like some sort of void. But never really address addresses the fact that she's dressed as sexy, which I think in the hands of a better writer would have been a really good way of her showing how she's taken back her power and se and sexuality. Um, and I think that could have been a really strong revelation, but here we are. I don't know. This just makes me tired. Yeah. I just... Uh. We're just not the best people to talk about this. <laughs> no, but like... <laughs> That's how I feel this whole issue. We are just not the people to talk about these things. <laughs> I think, I think, 
I would love to hear from somebody who like maybe experienced some trauma <laughs> and, and like read this story and it helped them come to terms with what happened to them and heal and move on. I Boy, that is a narrow that wedge of the pie, man. Like I, my guess oof. is it hasn't happened because nope. I don't feel like this handles sexual assault with any sensitivity, with any even compassion. Like I, I feel like it's missing. If there's one thing that I could say is missing from the story, it is honestly it's empathy and compassion and understanding like and i think it extends even beyond the sexual assault stuff which is rampant and very poorly executed i think it extends even to the way kevin smith portrays spider-man i don't recognize this character as spider-man his quips aren't funny which is the lowest like the least important criticism (laughs) he spends most of this book acting like we would expect batman to act he's threatening to drop thugs off of rooftops if they don't give him the information he wants. He threatens to eat people. He does the whole, dis- like, appearing on the rooftop in the rain with the lightning strike, and then when it's dark, he disappears. Like, he's pulling Batman sticks all over the place, which makes me think that, that Kevin Smith is trying to write a Batman story, and then I remember that Kevin Smith wrote a Batman story where Batman peed his pants, and I don't even know what to think anymore. There, he mentions that in an interview, and you should listen to it. I mean, I'm not saying that you should ever have Batman pee his pants, um, but he does talk about it. You, you know what, though, Stephen? Uh, you know who he's channeling here, here specifically? Who's that? All-Star Batman. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, and I hate you. I wish we were a DC podcast so we could read that book. No. <laughs> it is... Low- what are you, dense? It is- <laughs> are you retarded? <laughs> That's a quote from the book, by the way. I hate the R word. Yeah. Uh, also, also, I totally forgot that they that they call that a student calls Kitty Pride a, a retard. Yeah. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Uh, that was a thing. That um, was a thing that happened in that book. Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh, I have freaking I have the book open to the the Joseph Mengele page. Just <laughs> close this book Ugh. and burn it. I hate yeah. it. I hate it. Yeah. You know. Does anybody I, have I, anything I, else to say other than hate? I, honestly, and if and if you really want dots and black cat arc, there's better books. There's better covers to find. <laughs> Seriously, if like that's what you're in here for, there's other books. You know, that's kind of the thing that bugs me a little bit too. Is like how how much of a cheesecake emphasis there is on black cat, and just not enough about this. That, and that's the thing, right? Like sexy female characters, when written and done well, you know, their sexuality is really used as a strength, as a, as a form of empowerment. And on a second reading of this book, it just does not come across that way at all at any oh, point. Oh yeah. yeah, it's one hundred percent fan service yeah. again. Like, but specifically for the the presumably male readership. Yep. It's it's not at all about Felicia Hardy. Yeah. It is one hundred percent about you. I, f- I feel like I've ranted on this quite a bit. Uh, John, do you have anything you want to add? I, I just want to shower. <laughs> <laughs> It's just, I, I was all like, okay, Spider-Man, Black Cat, all right, this is going to be good. There's going to be some kind of, like, immature jokes in here, but that's Kevin Smith, okay, all right. And then it's just, like, the more I read it, the more it was like, oh, no, 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 no. This train is wrecking, and I have to stay on it. I just, no. Also, did did Joss Whedon get, like, Me too I'm trying to I'm trying to also find that, and I can't find the exact... It's complicated. Is it more that, like... Hey, you're not as much of a feminist as we thought. That's the best I can find so far. I don't think it's a Me Too as much as it was infidelity. I might be misremembering things. Well, there's that too. I wish I hadn't said it at all. Yeah. Either way, 
Whedon has some weird recurrent themes in his work. Yeah. Like he he fridges a lot of female characters. A lot of a lot of his female characters wind up being victimized. He had like he does sex robot plots a lot to the point where he had a whole television show about them. Huh. Uh, Dollhouse was he, it was okay. <laughs> <laughs> I could feel the instant backtrack on that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I didn't think about it like that. I thought about it like a spy show. Yeah. Um, with, with anyway. Uh, Neither of our artists to, or writers today are uh, entirely without fault. Clean, yeah. I mean, and nobody is. Let's let's not needlessly crucify someone for faults that everybody has. I'll throw the first stone. <laughs> <laughs> I've never said anything wrong, especially not on this podcast. Oh like, boy. <laughs> I have super ambivalent feelings about both of these creators. Like, I don't actually like any Kevin Smith movies. Or really him. Have you like, seen Jersey Girl? Have you seen Mallrats? Now, per- make yourself a teenage boy again and watch Mallrats. <laughs> you have to get in the, in the mindset. It's yeah. kind of like when you watch. It's kind of like when you watch a movie from like the sixties or the forties. Now, now James Bond is going to be really, really misogynistic to all these women, but don't worry. Yeah. that was just how it was. Ooh, yeah, that's kind of what you got to do with Kevin Smith. Except instead of putting yourself in the nineties, you got to put yourself as a fifteen-year-old in the nineties. You know, when I was a teen, I spoke <laughs> as a teen, I thought as a teen, but when I became a man, I put away teenish things. Oh, please tell me more about your. X-Men trading cards. <laughs> Guess who put them away? I don't own those oh, anymore. That makes me sad. He put them, Aldo, Aldo, between you and me, he put them away under his pillow. <laughs> they line his pillow. It goes pillow, X-Men trading cards, Marvel trading cards, and then the sheet, the pillowcase. Man, no wonder my neck hurts. <laughs> Honey, I got all these all paper right. cuts every night, every night with the paper cuts. All right, let's move on to the ranking. I've had it. Number one on our list of stories is Ms. Marvel, No Normal. (laughs) Very end of our list is Spider-Man, One More Day. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. Okay, let's rank. Let's start by talking about Gifted. Gifted's good. Gifted, uh, we should be looking... I would put it... um, I would put it below Karnak at number 18. That's a little higher than I want to put it. But I'm having trouble enunciating exactly why I don't think it goes that high. Ha, then you fail. Your argument's over. Done. <laughs> <laughs> Democracy is about who who talks the fastest. Ah, <laughs> uh, that explains a lot about Obama. Um. <laughs> Man, I haven't I haven't missed pe- I haven't missed someone like I've missed him though. <laughs> I was gonna recommend putting it around twenty four. Yeah, that's a little closer to where I wanted to put it. I think if I had to enunciate why I don't think this mo- this story goes well, you have to Stephen. as high. Okay, since I have to, <laughs> the reason I don't think it goes that high is because I feel like this particular story has some plot developments that don't quite make sense, come out of nowhere don't feel earned. And I'm specifically referring to Colossus coming back. It felt clunky to me when I read it the first time and it still feels clunky to me. Oh, Steven, if you have a problem with comic book characters coming back to life, then I have bad news about (gasps) all of comics. It's not the fact that he came back to life. It's that it was handled in a, like, an awkward manner. Like, Bucky coming back to life 
felt good. It felt natural in Winter Soldier, which I haven't ranked it, but like just in terms of bringing characters back from the dead, the execution in Winter Soldier is really good, and the execution here just didn't... Like, it probably worked a lot better if you were reading it in the moment when it came out, but to read it after the fact, it, it just doesn't feel like it has the impact that they're trying to make it have, and it doesn't feel earned, and I don't love it. That said, I don't think it goes significantly lower than Karnak. Um, I was, like, where I really started to question is, did I want to put it above or below Wolverine at 22? Mm. That's about where I landed. See, I would put it below... Well... I would put it above Wolverine. I think think out of two books that have kind of been out for a while, uh, this one has probably aged better and probably will age better than Wolverine has or will. Yeah. Yeah. The finely woven thread remind remind me. Oh, it's Black Widow. Oh, that's right. The Black Widow. Yeah. Okay, Phil Noto, Right. Which I think is where it is almost exclusively due to how great that artwork was. Oh, it's so good and such like a refreshing change. <laughs> <laughs> what? Nothing. I like art. Shut up. It's fine. That, hey. Nobody said anything, John. You laughed. <laughs> I just like how excited you were about that art. It's real good. It's fine, yeah. That was my suggestion for the list, and it turned out okay. Yeah, it's a good suggestion, John. Yeah, yeah. I feel attacked. <laughs> You're I not, sp- though. I spend, I spend my days with twin boys where every diaper change is like a time bomb because they've peed on me. And, and, then, and then I take a break and talk to two adult men, and I'm still like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to get it's blamed for bad comic choices. <laughs> no, I'm gonna a, get emotionally peed on. <laughs> oh, okay. Anyways, I'm I'm fine with putting it above Wolverine and below Finally Woven Thread. <laughs> <laughs> above Finally Woven Red Thread. You know, would like... you would you rather read this over Squirrel Power? I see. It's like a mood thing. I think this works. <laughs> like, this is like this is a a solid X Men story. Um, Squirrel Power is fun. Squirrel Power is the I, donut, and this one is like a nice dinner. You know. So, so John, I'm just gonna tell. I'm just gonna ask you this: Gifted by itself, those six issues without mm-hmm. knowledge of anything else, do you think is better than Squirrel Power or even Finely Woven Thread? No, because because I think that's kind of where like this. That's kind of my issue with it. But it's, only because. Squirrel, uh-huh. Squirrel Power was super fun. Finely Woven Thread had amazing art, and neither one of those two books had Cat Beast. Okay, <laughs> we're putting it at twenty-two. I'm taking that as a confirmation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll let the Cat Beast slight slide. <sighs> it's not good, Steven. Oh, it's fine. <laughs> mm. So let's let's know. I like the know. I like the line where he talks about being scared that one day he's just going to be playing with a ball of yarn in front of his students. See, he would have devolved to something else before then, as what I think. <laughs> That's a continuation of something that comes up in the Grant Morrison arc, too. But anyway, we'll leave that aside. Okay, Spider-Man, Black Cat, The Evil That Men Do. Where's the garbage pile start on this list? Let's take a look-see. <laughs> I think it starts like at 48. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, okay, let's take a moment, though, and acknowledge <laughs> Kevin, Kevin Smith has lost a crap load of... Like, he, he was known for being, like, you know, a big dude. He is, like trim nowadays it's it's crazy to see him like out of a hockey jersey and in a in a in a uh, blazer you know like he still wears shorts john i don't see how that's relevant at all it is difficult (laughs) what he's done yes 
You know I'm what just... else was difficult? Reading this book. Oh, oh, no question. No question. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, credit where credit's due. Um, yeah. He could he could probably fly Southwest again. I have no problems with Kevin Smith the man. I have problems with Kevin Smith the writer. Guys, I'm gonna tell you where I wanna put this. Is it sixty? It's I this is the worst story we've read, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. It is worse than one more day. Content wise, yes. It was it it offended me in a way that I was like it was it was offensive, <laughs> not like you know, someone took something that I loved and rolled it around in the dirt like one more day did. Mm-hmm. I, so is that, I, like, wh- wh- how do we measure the offenses uh, on this list? Here's the thing. One more day almost breaks a fictional character. That's, like, that's why it's at the bottom. It, Spider-Man is a character that we really, really like, and it this story almost ruins him. Hmm. Spider-Man Black Cat, the evil that men do, is in and of itself morally reprehensible. Mm-hmm. It is a hate crime made flesh. <laughs> I don't want to necessarily agree with that whole sentence, but yes. I, I And also, like, we have to remember, like, you know, times have changed since it was written. You know what? This was in bad taste then. I would have to. I'm I, sure it was. I'm I, just saying, I, like, yeah. I also want to get you in the mindset, John, like... Imagine yourself in 2002, you read this, you end on a big rapey cliffhanger, um, only to come back to this book three years later with that times ten. No, yeah, like, it, it should go at the bottom, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's kind of the part that offends me the most, on top of the content. Um, it's that the people who were reading this as it was coming out had to wait three years only for it to really kind of go off the deep end. Yeah. And, you know, and I will say this, there's, I mean, just like One More Day, there's things I like about it. Um, you know, that's a, that's a really good Mephisto back in the One More Day, at least yeah. visually. Um, Doctor Strange and, was good. Yeah. And while I like, you know, the Dodsons are in this, and I and I know Steven doesn't, but I like all the quipping between uh, Black Cat and, and Spider-Man. I oh, really I like it that. too. And so two of us, two rights make a more right than Steven. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, the rights have it. I don't know that I would recommend this book to anybody. <laughs> yeah. Literally never. Yeah. That's that's a good point. I would read one more day again to be like, surely it's not as bad as I remember, only to be reminded. <laughs> like like every every five, six years or so, I watch Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom thinking, you know, maybe I just got grossed out by the part where they eat monkey brains and live snakes and stuff. Maybe it's not a terrible movie. And I watch it, and I'm like, oh, yeah, this is a crap, crap, crap movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I agree. Like, in, in making my list of, of, like, comic book movies that I've seen and ranking them, Batman v Superman didn't wind up as low on the list as I thought it would yeah. because there are movies out there that I have watched once that I was like, this, like, I, well. Yeah. It, it, Batman v Superman is bad, but it's also, like, bad on a level that is kind of understandable. You can see where he was going with it. You can kind of see where he was going with it. I get, I actually get why people are in like all up in arms for the Snyder cut of Justice League and all of these other things. Cause like there's potential, there's a lot of, of potential in that story, poor execution. And at the end, it doesn't really do anything that is that like unusual or that reprehensible for a comic book story. But where you start to lose me is where you have Jim Carrey stuffing mufflers up people's rectums. 
Turns out I really hate the mask, by the way. Huh. Whoa. That's what I learned making this list. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Did you just go through a Wikipedia article of, like, comic book movies and then just rank out yes. those? Okay. You wait. <laughs> yes. That's how you got to 66. Okay. You hate the mask? Yep. I hate the mask so much. I like the mask. I, I granted, love I the mask. It. I haven't rewatched it in 10 years, so I don't know how it's aged. It's hilarious. You know what's not hilarious? The evil that men do. No, Number bottom 60. of the list. 60, yeah. bottom of the list. That's the worst you, book I've ever You know, read. also what, what's a little sad about it, too, is uh, the Spider-Man video game, the DLC chapter, or what I think the first DLC pack, it's pretty much the story, but like a hundred times better. Like it is Felicia Hardy coming back to New York, uh, you know, kind of rekindling a thing with Spider-Man. Um, absolutely no rape, uh, but a lot of really fun, well done quipping and, and really good relationship stuff. Because um, she kind of, I mean, are you guys going to play that at all? Do you guys mind if I spoil a little bit out of it? I don't even own a PS4 and I'm probably never going to get it. I'm probably never going to. I, I wish I could, but it's the, by yeah. the time that it'll be spoiled for me. Yeah, so of part of it, part of it is she comes back um, and she tells Spider-Man that she has a child uh, who's been kidnapped by Hammerhead, and so she's trying to get these thumb drives with all the information for the money for the mafias, and Spider-Man is helping her because he thinks it's his, um, and this is happening right as him and Mary Jane have finally uh, like hooked back up into a relationship, um, and all of a sudden Spider-Man has baby bo- baby mama drama with. Uh, Black Cat, and it's uh, actually really well done. Hmm. And uh, I'd have to, I'd have to actually see that because I'm not sold. <laughs> I know you're not. <laughs> I, you know, I would recommend if you have time. I would just look up the cutscenes. It's I, I, I like Black Cat the way she's in that, and I think it's, I think it's good. Uh, the the game is excellent. Yes. Like I've played very little and seen very little of like you know. Like the I played like the first level and like the first little bit when you're like seen when like you you know go around investigating things as Mary Jane, yeah. Um, but they really nailed the characters from what I saw, so it was very satisfying to see that. Speaking of Spider-Man that we liked and didn't make our skin crawl. Also, wait before we move on. Um, mostly my my connection to Kevin Smith. Like go go listen to like the first. <laughs> 50 episodes or so of no like his his fat man on batman show is good like it's you know he's still like you know kevin smith and he's crude and everything but like good interviews and like you know he gets like i don't know some really interesting guests on there and then it kind of just evolves into a pop culture uh comic book podcast and i haven't like listened to it on the reg for a while but i i don't know i really like it it was i don't know it got me into listening to podcasts and you know there's some inspiring stuff in there from like if you listen to the uh um holy crap the voice of batman kevin conroy man yeah that's a great episode he talks about struggles he has as an actor like being on broadway and you know a rough a rough upbringing greg capullo has a couple episodes that are fantastic um, Scott Snyder talks about, you know, leaving, you know, turning away from grad school and putting off grad school to go work at Disney World. Like, it's just great stuff. And it's, you know, through the medium of, of a conversation with Kevin Smith. So, you know, take that as it will. But I really enjoyed that. And, and, and <laughs> you, you know, all the negative things that we've brought up about the guy. Like, yeah, like, you're I mean, right. Granted, but... I haven't brought up anything negative other than this book. <laughs> oh, it's a bad book. Yeah. I You know, I... I and I think a lot of people will agree. Kevin Smith is a really good like auto like auditory storyteller. I could listen to him like recap stories all day. 
Uh, yeah, he does. Not... He does a two-part Swamp Thing, uh, Batman. Yeah. Uh, he like just reads the comic, and it's great. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just, I just don't want him writing any more comics. <laughs> I, I, he tries, bless his heart, and he's accomplished more in his lifetime than I probably ever will. But please stop writing comic books. <laughs> okay, so for our next episode, I'm jumping in here before anything else. Happens. For our next episode, we are going to be reading. Uh, first of all, we're going to read The Mighty Thor, the first arc from the 2015 series, written by Jason Aaron. So that's uh, issues number one through five. And we are also going to read an event comic that I think... I've, I've actually never read it or even really heard much about it, so I'm going to be interested to get into this. Uh, from 2009, The War of Kings, which has, uh, like, it's a, I believe, like, a X-Men... There's some Guardians of the Galaxy stuff in here, too, I believe. I'm going to be really interested to, in reading it, because I have no idea at all what it's going to be like. So anyway, for next time, Thor, the, or excuse me, Mighty Thor, numbers 1 through 5, and War of Kings, numbers 1 through 6. And now, with that, I think we're definitely on to back matter. Mysterio was super cool, and I always hoped that they would bring him on the big screen, and they did, and he was good, and it was cool, and, and oh my god, he was didn't so even perfect. see it coming, and they was good. Fake out of fake out with the oh maybe he's from an alternate reality and ah uh, psych he's just a disgruntled employee and they brought back Ralphie from Christmas Story and it was really great. I fe- honestly I feel like if you didn't see that fake out coming you were fooling yourself. Um, but I think oh see was, I I avoided all trailers again. And I, only I don't heard... think it matters. I don't okay. think it matters if you saw a trailer. I think if you went in there thinking Mysterio was going to be a good guy the whole time. I think oh no, I didn't so. think th- I didn't think that. I was waiting but, for him to yeah. turn, but I yeah, I didn't know but how it was going to yeah. yeah. What I will say though, even for me even knowing cuz one of the one of the reviews I watched um like they way spoiled that, that we can't talk about the movie like in depth without talking about this. So I knew already, but it was so well done, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you knew. Yeah. So I saw the movie with my wife who my is wife. not a comic book person, a civilian. Oh. <laughs> Ignore yeah. me. Oh. You bagged an army. And, and she she was sitting there, like I was sitting there next to her, and she was guessing every single plot point before it happened. Mm-hmm. Like, well, yeah. And to be like, she's she's a very smart woman, but it also doesn't take much to guess that the guy in the green and purple costume is the bad guy. Yeah. Are you saying uh, there's some sort of precedent for that kind of thing in comic book movies? <coughs> Joker. <laughs> oh, I was gonna say vulture. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's common. Um, but the point <laughs> is. Even though she was guessing like all the plot points at the end, we like both looked at each other and we're like, "This was a good movie, right?" Like we had a lot of fun, and it was fun in exactly like the right way that I think you need to follow up from something like Avengers Endgame. Yes, because to me, like the Doctor Who problem. If you watch Doctor Who on the BBC every season, the the big season arc and the big season finale has just bigger and bigger and bigger stakes. First, they're going to destroy the galaxy, and then they're going to destroy multiple galaxies, and then the universe, and then the entire of entirety of reality. Like, it keeps getting so big. How do you follow it up? Eventually, they realize that the best way to follow it up is to make the stakes very, very personal. Yeah. And it's all about the Doctor himself. And that's what this story is. The, Spider-Man just came back from literally saving the universe and half of all existence, and 
What does he want to do after that? He's tired. He wants to go on vacation with his friends. And also, he kind of wants to figure out how he's going to honor the memory of his mentor. Because the man he looked up to the most in his life is dead now. And what does that mean for him? And so it's all very personal. And it's all very much about Peter Parker himself. And learning to trust himself. And to me, that was just the perfect way to follow up Endgame. Yeah. And then to have it packaged in this really fun road trip story with this super delightful, really hammy villain uh, who is, I mean, I, I say he's really hammy, but also, like, Hall's doing a lot of work. Oh, yeah. yeah. Really well. Like, I forget how good of an actor he is. And, I, like, yeah. Yeah. I think I think for me it's a couple a couple things. This is probably one of my this is probably my favorite Spider Man uh, MCU movie, which isn't many two. Yeah, there's uh, two of them. Four. But so, so what if they're not Spider Man? <laughs> if Spider Man is in it, it becomes yeah. a Spider Man movie. No. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> um, one of my biggest issues with Homecoming was it to me. It just very much felt like they stole Miles Morales' story. Right. Yes. Um, and I think once I, once I explain it to people, a lot of people kind of see where I'm coming from. Yeah. This did not. Um, it's, yeah. It starts out a little bit like it. Um, and I was a little worried kind of as the movie was starting. But the Spider-Man finally, to me, finally feels like he's his own character. Like he finally, he finally stops feeling like he's trying to be Tobey Maguire. He's not trying to be... Miles Morales. He's not trying to be Iron Man even. He's just trying to be himself. Mm-hmm. And he finally has like his own like real kind of valid set of wants and needs. And it's great. And there's finally like consequences to his actions. There's <laughs> responsibility that's coming with his power. It's good stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it. The thing that I really like about this is that it is putting Peter Parker in a scenario where he gets to develop in a way that is unique to his character. And I know this is kind of what you were saying, Aldo, but he's not even comic book Spider-Man anymore. No. He is his own character with his own story and his own story arc and his own growth, his own emotions, his own experiences. And he still plays on a lot of the great Spider-Man themes Mm -hmm. where, you know, making mistakes and learning to rectify them, living with the loss of loved ones, balancing personal responsibility with the desire to lead a normal, happy life. Uh, and it's, it does all of that in a way that is unique to Tom Holland's version of Spider-Man. I, I feel confident in saying that this is a spot, like the Spider-Man we see in Far From Home is a Spider-Man that I don't think could exist anywhere else. No, and, it, yeah. and it's a better... It's a better pop culture environment to have this Spider-Man in it. And still, I st- uh, he's his own thing, but I still think it feels like, it feels correct. It feels like, yes, this is Spider-Man, and it works for our day and age, and it's it feels true to the character. Because, you know, he's just saved the universe, and... Now he's stuck and, on a on a bus across Europe and and can't get it. You know, like the whole, the whole yeah. all the crap that happens to him on the plane, trying to switch seats and everything just like blows up in his face. I was like, that's Peter Parker. That's what yeah. happens to Peter. All these great, you know, power responsibility, and the he can't catch a break. You know. Mm-hmm. Remember when he almost accidentally assassinated his schoolmate? Yeah, that was fantastic. Hey, hey, <laughs> why does Tony Stark have killed satellites? <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! Because he created a murder bot. 
Also, every time there were like the graffiti of Tony Stark, um, the whole time it was like a gut punch because it's still a little bit, yeah, still fresh. I, you know, and see, that's the thing. I don't really care. I think, I think them killing off uh, Tony Stark and doing that stuff, it's it's good. It feels unlike every other thing related to comics. It actually feels final. Right? No, and and like and um, sure, but it's still it's, it's still sad. It's, yeah, so, I mean, I, I just don't have that personal like, emotional attachment to it because I'm just kind of relieved that it's finally if a death finally means something in a comic book hmm. movie. Um, so I appreciate it, but the thing that the thing that gets me isn't even like oh Tony Stark is dead. I mean, my mom cries every time I bring that up, so I bring it up often. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what gets me is seeing uh, Peter deal with it yeah. every time he comes up and yeah. just kind of how he deals with it. That hits. That hits really close to home. Like in in a way I didn't expect from this, and that's kind of what I what I like. Because Spider Man to me hits close to home a lot, um, especially when he's written well. So like this thing just oof, it's just a gut punch. Just seeing him react to all these things, like when he's just really stressed out, uh, when he gets picked up in the field of flowers, like in Holland or wherever he's at. That was, <laughs> I love that. Everyone yeah. here is really nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, like and and when he's just stressing out and you know happy still and calm down like that just feels so real and genuine and it's just it's just well done. Oh, when he puts his hand into the hologram web shooter, it like pulled oh, straight yes. out of Iron Man. It was like oh yeah, like that this is the saddest of, like, torch, pa- torch passing. Oh my gosh, that little uh, that like last little look that Happy gives him, and he's like, "What's the matter, Happy?" He's like, "It just." Seen something familiar or something like that. I was just yeah. Like, oh, oh, my heart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have two very minor nitpicks with this movie. Uh-huh. Ooh, surprise. And <laughs> I, I mean, I but no, like too. this is the thing. I was I was talking with my brother about this, and I realized that these are just like the minorest of nitpicks. And you leaving these aside, I have no complaints about the movie at all. Like I walked out of the theater thinking. This is probably in my top five superhero movies of all time. And it wasn't. And then I realized how <laughs> stiff the competition was, which is why I made the list. Spider-Man Far From Home wound up number six. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Like, I really, really, really like this movie. I could go the rest of my life without ever hearing the phrase Peter Tingle again. That really bothered me, yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> That's, but it, it's a nitpick. Yeah. I, I think I think my, my nitpick in this is it's really unclear how the illusion tech works. Um, <laughs> I genuinely do not care. That's the thing, too, is yeah. at some point you just, you can't care. Like, it's fine. I think it bothers me because in the context of the MCU, they've always kind of gone out of their way to explain how stuff works. So for them to just kind of finally give up and say, you know, screw it, it's just, it's illusion type. They know they have us. They know they have us. They know we're staying um, through the credits. Yeah. I, I, I think my only real complaint with a film will always be... It's the it's the biggest complaint I had from Homecoming, and it's the only real complaint I have in here. What I I feel like they just throw I I hate that they do the the identity reveals as a gag as a as a post credits gag I hate that so much. Um, so in Homecoming when like his aunt finds out and then oh yeah we get nothing nothing after that like the the next movie picks up you know they've both come back from the dead. And they're just buddy buddy on this. Like we don't get any of like the emotion or like 
any of the tribulations. Well, maybe some pers- maybe there was some perspective shift where it was like maybe it's okay that you're a superhero since you guys saved the day. Something like that, but we just don't get any of that. And then for for the same thing to happen here, where they're like Peter Parker, Spider Man. Um, Wait, it's just kind of done as this joke where they reveal. Uh, J.K. Simmons, the like, best. I was, I was almost in tears, happy that he was still J.K. Uh, J. Jonah Jameson. I am happy about that, but I kind of wish it wasn't thrown away as a, as an end credits gag. I don't that think it's is, a gag. It sets up. It sets up the next movie. Stephen, what were your two yeah. nitpicks? Was it the Peter Tingle and what else? Oh, my other nitpick is not really even worth mentioning. Um, it's that I, I feel like the Mysterio reveal happened out of order. Like, I feel like MJ and Peter should have realized that the illusion tech had been there, and that is the moment that the audience, quote-unquote, learns oh. that Mysterio's the bad guy, and then we have the scene in the ball. They were well, kind he of does. hungry to get that reveal. Yeah. Out. Yeah, I wish that the, those two scenes had happened in the reverse order. Yeah. And it, it otherwise, I got no that's, complaints. That's a fair complaint, I feel, actually. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, we know that he's the villain. It's not hard to guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I don't know that it really cripples the movie. And I do think they have an interesting take on Mysterio where he's like the narcissistic head of this group of disaffected Stark employees. I like the take on the illusion tech. I like the fact that Mysterio pretends to be from an alternate dimension, which kind of harkens back to Ultimate Mysterio. Yeah. In a weird way. Uh, yeah. In Spider-Men um, that we read, yeah. Mm-hmm. The freaking fight that Spider-Man has with Mysterio about two-thirds of the way through the movie. Oh, when beautiful. It's basically I, like one of the Scarecrow sequences from exactly the Exactly what I said, yes. So yes. I had the biggest... So good. So, so the first time I ever saw Mysterio outside of the comics was when I was working at Disney. I was testing Disney Infinity um, 2.0 where they had the Marvel stuff in it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um... And when you play that game, the be- the beginning section is a Mysterio bit, where you're playing as Spider-Man and you have to like go track down Mysterio. But as you're chasing him, everything starts falling apart and it gets weird. It was actually one of probably one of the best sequences in that terribly buggy game. Um, <laughs> uh, but it was one of my favorite things in that whole game, and and a lot of, and it was you know front and center because every time they had people try out the game that was the bit that they played and of course that's the thing that wowed them um so when i went into the theater and you know knowing it was mysterio i was like listen if they can get if they can get this even just as good as that game got it i'm i'm sold and when it happened oh my goodness i had the biggest i had the biggest grin on my face i was on the edge of my seat i was just in love with that, that is probably one of my favorite blockbuster movie moments in a in a long time. I'm gonna say it: the best looking, best executed, most visually spectacular fight sequence in any of the MCU movies. Period. Yeah, really. I I would, I would have to think about every that. single Doctor Strange fight, every single like crazy thing Captain America does with his shield, even, even when he the, even in game. Even Endgame. What yes, about actually, uh, uh, Thor Ragnarok at the very beginning when he fights off the demons while uh, Led Zeppelin's playing, and Satan's close walking. second. <laughs> oh, if if only because of because of immigrants. Do you mean what you mean yeah. the fight scene with uh, like in the dream sequence, like in the illusion, right? Yeah. Okay. I would, yeah. Like, the fact like that he like gets hit Tony by Stark a train. Oh, jeez. That was that. I felt like I was like, 
Too far, dude. That's too far. That's <laughs> yeah. It's cold. It's so good. Oh my gosh, it's, it's so good. good. Yeah. Also, talking yeah. about really, the, uh, hold on, talking about really good special effects. Can I say how much I love the really crappy uh, intro, like the tribute video that the school has? Yeah. Oh, and those anchor kids. That was a riot. They're like, my little brother's five years older than me now. Just yeah, like. yeah. It's Matt. <laughs> And the and the, the marching band coming back to life in the middle of a basketball game. Oh my god! <laughs> oh gosh! I, yeah, that movie. Yeah, oh, it's so good. Yeah, it's good. I I, I want to go back to one of all those points because uh, he he was talking about the J Jonah Jameson revealing Spider Man's identity. Um, I really think that whether or not it's a joke or it's a. a cliffhanger moment to set up the next movie like it really is going to depend on how the next movie uh shapes up like i read it quote unquote read it as this is raising the stakes creating more tension to get the audience to come back for a sequel when we're in the middle of experiencing this this glut of superhero movies and so many people are talking about being tired of them I don't know. See, I haven't met anyone who has said that. Who? Oh, I've met plenty of people, and I have myself actually said it. And then I keep going, so I'm obviously a huge. Hypocrite. They're still, they're still good. If like, if you know, if as bad as it gets as Captain Marvel, then I'm okay because it was like mediocre, but still not bad. My problem is, I feel like the end credit stuff is really good for kind of jokes and just maybe. Some like one-off stuff, right? Like the whole like Adam Warlock kind of tease. Well, yeah, the Adam Warlock, the tease, the whole thing with the scrolls in uh, yeah. here in, in Far From Home. That stuff works, but I feel like character development, like stuff that genuinely raises the stake for the next movie, and stuff that is obviously important for the next movie. I feel like it's just kind of lazy to just put in the end credits. It almost to me, it almost feels like, well, we couldn't figure out how to transition to this, so here. Watch some credits and then will you get the scene? I don't know. I mean, I think serious filmmakers would 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 argue like, n- no, I don't have any deleted scenes. I don't have any little. I I put it all on the film and that's what it is. But I also think it adds to the experience to have something meaningful after you've sat in the theater the whole time, especially with how funny and how much of a like you know kick to the groin the last uh, like homecomings after credit scene was with Captain America. <laughs> Like sometimes you wait and you wonder if it's worth it. <laughs> like yeah, I I just I see I just don't agree. I think if it's meaningful enough that it's important to the universe in the that film. you're building, it belongs in the film. I, don't... I think they can actually. I I honestly think they can fix this if the next movie starts with uh, J. Jonah Jameson's radio show. He's Alex Jones. He's Alex Jones. It's and that's what he was in the PS4 game, right? He was like a right wing media like. So that, radio, so that's yeah. been my compl- that's also been my complaint with a lot of people on the internet. It's been like, oh my gosh, what an original and interesting and hilarious take on Jay Jonah. It's like no, the the game did it really yeah. good already. Yeah. It's not original. Stop yeah. it. Shut up. I'm a <laughs> real nerd. It doesn't have to be original. I'm a real like, who, nerd. Who owns the <laughs> the Spider Man game is owned by Sony, isn't it? Yeah. No, it's Marvel. So, or it's, but I mean, it's like Sony. It's PlayStation. Yeah, but it's Marvel. Oh, but it's, but Sony is also involved in the movies, so I, I feel like there's some sort of corporate synergy going on where Sony's like, this is the version of Spider-Man that we created for the game, and so why don't we bring over elements from the game that oh, worked yeah. into the movie? And so like I, it makes sense. Like this is a good direction to take J. Jonah Jameson in the 21st century. 
Yeah, I, I like it a lot. I if it works it so in the much. game, why don't we bring it into the movie? I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I just hate how many people are like, oh, this is so original and new and fresh. And it's like, mm, no. This is just me being an, an elitist nerd. <laughs> Gatekeeping all the... Uh, no, he's not elite. saying that they have to play the game before they watch the movie. That would be a gatekeeping saying, nerd. I'm just saying, real gotta recognize real, bro. <laughs> Whatever <laughs> that means. <laughs> I just, it's the be- I, I'm trying to think of better casting... Uh, Robert da- Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark, but Chris Hemsworth as Thor. Mm. Okay, like, I'm not saying they're better, but I'm saying they're comparable. I actually think J.K. Simmons is the best casting in any. Superhero what about movie Cabbage Patch ever. as Doctor Strange? I actually think that's probably <laughs> it's, my favorite. It's Cumberbund. Cabbage Patch. Bandersnatch. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's one of my favorite memes. Is like you know, I can just say <laughs> I can just say Benadryl Cabbage Patch, and you know who I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Bibble squish, comma splice. There you go. <laughs> I actually think he's probably next to Robert Downey. Um, I actually think he's probably been one of the best casting choices. I just think he's a great actor who could do whatever, you know. I and it's it's that. a good get that we got him. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, I don't know. J.K. Simmons is really nice to see him back. It's good stuff. I'm so happy. Agreed. It's just like, read, oh, he's home. I read an interview where they where they were saying how uh, there was no other option if they couldn't get J.K. Simmons. They just weren't going to include that. I try, yeah. I just, I like thinking about his lines from the original movie. I trust my barber. I just, everything. Nice box of Christmas meat. Best I can yeah. do. Get out of here. And bring me more pictures. I, <laughs> I just I, love I it think so if, much. if you want a good laugh, if you want a good laugh, I recommend actually looking up all the, all the Jonah voice clips from the Spider Man game. Oh, yeah. Wait, did they have him? Did they get him or do they? No, have they don't have else? him, but they have a, they have a sound alike, but he just works really well. Totally, it's good. Okay. Cool. Yeah, it's it it sounds like J.K. Simmons a whole lot, and uh, you can tell it's not him, but he does a really good job at channeling Raimi, Jonah. Yeah, yeah. It's good stuff, man. It's, it's like how they kept uh, how they kept Judy Dench when they rebooted Bond. It's it's the same kind of like ah that was the right call. I just like that. Yeah, sure. I haven't seen a James Bond movie. <laughs> Wait, since ever, Pierce ever? Brosnan. No, since oh. Pierce Brosnan. Oh, man, Daniel Craig, at least Casino Royale. Like, the other ones I have problems with, but Casino Royale is the best Bond movie. Like, and, and Bond purists will be like, no, but Sean Connery. And I'm like, oh, you're going to watch it. If you watch it in the 21st century, it's kind of like, huh, he's, he is, he is not good to women. Um, <laughs> yeah. But. Or, you know, you could just go see Spider-Man Far From Home again. Hey, you could. It's, it's fine. Yeah. It's wanna, than that would be a good, Bond. a good use of your time. So I got to see it a little early, um, which was really nice. Uh, but I went to like a special hosted event by like Dr Pepper for some reason. Oh yeah, because they're big. They've always been sponsors. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they have like a. I don't know what it was, but it was like a Hispanic oriented screening because there was trivia and prices at the beginning, and that was all in Spanish. And then I had to watch the movie with Spanish subtitles, and that wrecks my weeb anime watching mind. <laughs> I'm reading subtitles to a language I understand in another language I also understand. Um, so I saw it like on a normal screen. So I, I really I'm picturing. Wanna... I'm hoping. I'm hoping that I'm accurately picturing you putting dollars into like a snob jar right now of like I got to go to a special screening because huh, I only speak two languages and there were prizes. <laughs> Yes, Boo freaking exactly. who. I would be so distracted if there were Russian subtitles. I'd be like, that's how you say Spider-Man. Chelovek Pauk. Okay, that's I mean, how you say Spider-Man. I learned, I, you know, I learned a lot about. But also, I kind of just want to go watch it like an IMAX. 
Yeah, like, that's how I any- good. If anything, just for the Mysterio segment. Yeah, that's, I saw it in IMAX because I was like, I oh. need to see that in Endgame too. Like, oh man, some movies you just gotta see, especially like Endgame is all filmed in IMAX. But like the like, I could tell like some sequences were filmed in IMAX for uh, Far From Home and some weren't. But it it was it was great, 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 great. Agreed. And on that note, I think we're gonna wrap up the episode. We got two hours of audio to sort through, so. There goes my weekend. I gotta go. I gotta wake up in three hours to, you know, feed babies. So to right. what? Although John, feed babies. <laughs> to what? No. Each other? No. <laughs> yeah, I'm just Thanks. gonna I'm gonna throw a sword in the middle and be like, I'm only paying for one of you to go to college. <laughs> <laughs> Two babies enter. One baby leaves. <laughs> That's actually every time I see like a little baby octagon where there's like you know. <laughs> Like a little playpen or whatever. I'm like, ha, 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 ha yes. Baby UFC. Little, little Tyke's Thunderdome. <laughs> <laughs>